Hey, it's David Greenwald. It's Pretty Little Grown Men. I'm Dom Sinicola. Hey, also welcome to Pretty Little Grown Men. We are a little bit irritated because we've had some funny technical difficulties with our fancy new mic setup. I bought a new USB cable to replace my like janky old one, and of course I plugged it in and it was making a terrible hissing sound, so there's $3 <laughs> down the drain. <laughs> I just let Dave do all that stuff. I, I trust he's having it getting it figured out well if anyone <laughs> has good ideas for usb cables that are not made by monoprice.com <laughs> let us know <laughs> this episode of pretty little grown men is not brought to you by monoprice.com no no it is brought to you by an actual pretty little liars television experience <laughs> yeah uh we're we're back talking about the show that we're apparently supposed to be talking about um we watched hashtag five years forward uh tonight which i think it premiered tonight also on actual real tv it's true yeah (laughs) um before we get into uh the latest revelations in the lives of the liars uh we should start by fake plugging um because we're doing more professional um lucrative things up front now right dave Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Although, you know, I, um, the other day, I, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but I sold my first, uh, photo license. Uh, someone, you did not talk about this. Somebody emailed me and, you know, I'm a photographer as well as a writer. And I had this photo that I shot of Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, at Music Fest Northwest, right when I got into town and you got me a pass and we went to this great show. It was an amazing show. And somebody saw my image on the internet somewhere and wanted to use it. And I said, all right, cool. Well, my fee for that is $50. They were like, all right, great. (laughs) Um, And then today I got an email from someone saying, hey, we read this essay that you did on medium.com for free and we want to run it on our site and give you $50. What? And I was like, oh, okay, great. Wait, what what, what what was the the essay? Oh, it was, you know, I did an article called Against Masculinity. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I've read that. Very, uh, <laughs> very cranky, attention-getting title. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was just about growing up as a boy who was not interested in a lot of traditional boy stuff and was interested in just whatever it was that I liked, whether it was something like Fiona Apple, which seemed very not okay in Southern California in 1999. Um, but obviously not something that would get you mm-hmm. super beat up or whatever either. But, you know, it was just like about navigating those waters and being an adult who still feels the same way. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the offers are just, are just pouring into the Dave Greenwald email lately. So I look forward to our first podcast sponsorship coming down the pipe. You, you plowed right past that, uh, conversation about masculinity. It, it, maybe tonight is not the night. <laughs> You know, it's it's we could talk about it. I think we should talk about Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. I think, you know, this podcast I think is evidence of me wanting to not want to be involved in any sort of stereotypical masculine ideas, you know, and not wanting to be like not wanting to avoid talking about a show I enjoy mm-hmm. uh because it's for basically for teenage girls as we saw in the extensive hair and makeup section of this episode yeah so i'm not really sure where to start uh we can probably start uh with the aspects of the show and of the hashtag five years forward special that did not appeal to us in any way 
namely well i wouldn't say uh, they didn't appeal to us in any way so much as we didn't really understand what they were talking about well we weren't the i you know what was interesting to me about this very strange piece of television in which we saw like deleted scenes or like stuff from this five-year gap that Mm -hmm. is not going to be on the show presumably along with fluffy cast interviews where they basically told us the plot of this five years uh, which I guess stuff that will or will not be covered in the actual show, which was sort right. of funny. But then, like, it's always really cool when they, to me, when they talk to these behind-the-scenes people like the set dressers or the music composers or hair and makeup or whatever and, mm-hmm. you know, get to see the actual, like, process that goes into the show, which is more than just the screenwriters and uh, Marlene King and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did appreciate that, too. I, I think that that's something that... Um, uh, often gets overlooked as far as uh, what it takes t- to put together a production the size of Pretty Little Liars. And it's grown to such an extent um, that it's pretty much a, you know, I, I would say a ratings juggernaut for ABC Family, or sorry. Uh, Freeform. Freeform, that's right, yeah. Uh, and um, so I appreciate that, but when they start talking about the differences between um, wardrobe uh, and makeup, five years past and current day, um, you know, the whole time we that we were watching it, we were sort of looking at each other like we don't really we don't really see these differences, right? Like, okay, Spencer has bangs. Yeah, that's cool. Spencer has bangs. That's pretty much the extent. Hashtag bangs as uh, some tweeter said. Right, right. Or but I, has, hashtag has bangs. But I'm sure many people watching the show, watching tonight's episode, uh, got a lot out of the words of wisdom on the makeup choices. Right, uh, which, as we learned, apparently are they have smaller jewelry now. Um, Spoiler alert, Dom. <laughs> Come on, get it together. Because it doesn't hurt their ears as much. So, you know, the liars, present-day liars, are just, they're walking around with with uh, not that much weight holding down their heads, so they have a lot more, I guess, mobility. I think if you are going to be involved in some kind of murder plot, detective work, mm-hmm. it's probably very wise. Yeah. It seems like a good decision. I think so. Um, I, I wonder if they're going to be a little rusty in their detective skills after five years of not using them so much i mean it's not like they ever reach such a like high level of detectiving (laughs) in their initial six years of trying to solve crimes they learned like one or two things over the course of like five and a half seasons yeah uh i do get the impression that um fake social media is now a much more uh, uh a much larger part of the show yes that'll be interesting it's it's referred to as quote-unquote social yeah mona has an encounter with allison which i love and she says i saw you post this social okay so uh in the future there's only one social network it's called social Social. (laughs) and it was created by mark somethingberg (laughs) Uh, um so these so these two uh deleted scenes or never before scenes uh Scenes in which Marlene King addressed to the camera and said, you are now about to witness something 
that has never been witnessed before in the history of mankind. Well, I like that they were showing it on like a primetime special instead of like having the special just be sort of, you know, fun, fluffy chatting or recap, you know, and that it wasn't coming out on some DVD outtake. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot with, to go back to our old saw of Lost, there was a lot of weird Lost stuff that came out as webisodes. Like if you weren't keeping track of Lost on all media everywhere, you missed some bits and pieces. So I actually thought it was cool that they were like, here are some scenes that are going to help connect the dots for you. And it sort of implies if they would go to the trouble to set up those sets and shoot those scenes, there's probably more. Well, yeah, I think that there's uh, two things. One is I, I appreciate a show that consolidates its content so that you don't have to like fucking just watch webisodes. I don't like watching webisodes. I have no interest in doing that. Uh, Battlestar Galactica had a lot of, um, I think between maybe seasons three and four, I'm not really sure, um, they had a bunch of webisodes that cleared up a lot of uh, off-screen action. And I never watch them because I don't. I don't want to watch episodes. I want to watch the show that's being presented to me. To me, that that's like the that's the piece of art. Is this is the art as it's intended? Right. You know, I don't want all this extra content. You know. No. I mean, we watched even something like uh, we just watched all of Orphan Black, so three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing. We should do another pod about it. Okay. But it feels like there's a pretty big gap between season two and three, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, all this stuff has changed. Uh, there's a there's a character at the end of season two who's very prominent who kind of disappears. Um, it's not really clear what happens, but all of a sudden, you're kind of dealing with this new paradigm, and I wonder huh, maybe there was like some something that came out between the seasons or some, I know there's like a new comic book that's coming out that's going to tell some backstory. You know, maybe there's a piece of the puzzle that I'm missing here that everyone somehow who's mm-hmm. followed the show knew about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe not. Maybe it was just like rushing ahead and moving the plot along. But yeah, it's always like you want things to exist within the show itself or within, you know, even like the Marvel movies. Uh, I don't want there to be like 17 Marvel TV shows because I don't have 500 hours a year to devote to Marvel as oh, much as I wish I for did. For fuck's sake. Well, well, that's like – I think that like the, the, the real question of one's faith in any sort of franchise can come down to how one responds to the recent developments in the Star Wars universe wherein you have between uh, – what is it? 1983 when – Return of the Jedi came out and, you know, now not counting the prequels because those all chronologically happened before the original three Star Wars. There was, you know, I don't I don't even know, hundreds, hundreds of 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 vessels of content, be it books or comic books or video games. Sure. Dozens that were of all licensed by LucasArts and considered canon. And then LucasArts gets bought by Disney for a couple billion dollars. Uh, and in creating The Force Awakens, uh, which I have not gotten a ticket to, and I feel like I'm going to have to wait like three oh, weeks to dude, watch they're it. Oh, dude, it's going to be playing at the Baghdad, and they're going to sell tickets pretty soon. I don't know when. I've been checking. Oh, my God. So it's not – yeah, we're going to be able to see it. I'm going to watch the ever-living fuck out of that movie. I can't wait. I hope it's good. <laughs> but, yeah, they wiped – but they basically years said that all this stuff canon. isn't canon anymore. That's really – I mean, canon can sort of be a really squishy, dumb thing to geek out about because it ultimately is like the idea of 
the fan understanding what parts of this character or this mythology that they own, you mm-hmm. know, like there's no canon for like, I guess canon exists in a very primal way in even like the Bible because there were all these councils with, you know, Vatican <laughs> and so on where they basically decided. That's an awesome illusion you just made. Well, I mean, they basically <laughs> decided, you know, 500 years later or whatever it was. I, yeah. I don't know my biblical scholarship, but, you know, I know on multiple <clears throat> occasions a bunch of guys sat down. Uh, and it was all guys, and they said, "All right, well, you know, maybe season six of Lost wasn't so great, and we should cut this part going forward." That would be. That would, I think the last one was Vatican II, and that was in like the '60s. Sure. When they the they decided like, that's when they changed over from the Latin Mass to English Mass. Right, but that wasn't like chopping out revelations or like editing, right. cutting down on the number of gospels and so mm-hmm. on. You know, so canon building, myth making has always been you know, I guess a piece of our, our culture, our, our Western culture from the beginning, but um, it feels weirdly selfish kind of in modern, in the modern day to be like, this is canon, and this is not, and this is what really happened to these characters and treating them as these mythic, uh, you know, borderline religious myth figures, you know, uh, as opposed to it's Spider-Man and it, or it's pretty little liars and just whatever happens happens, you know, like, I'm not saying creators should play fast and loose with these things. Mm-hmm. I think we both agree things should exist within the rules of the world that they build and so on. But, you know, I don't have a problem with Star Wars, with uh, the Star Wars folks and Disney saying, all right, well, we created this extremely elaborate structure and lots of people don't know anything about it who are going to go to this movie. Mm-hmm. So let's just not give ourselves that gigantic prison of thousands and thousands of words. Well, but don't you think, though, that... Um you're basically fighting. I think the 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 challenge for J.J. Abrams was not just to to make a good Star Wars movie. It was to make a, a it was to make a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, um, as much as I kind of don't care because I was never that attached to the thousands of pages of canon that were created post George Lucas. Um, I do think there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, there are these sort of uh, cultural uh, touchstones that we have where the creators no longer have control of them anymore. And so uh, George Lucas, for example, he created this universe and it's out of his control and it is now in the hands of people who are building it. And uh, the same could be said for... uh, for any Marvel character, you yeah. know, um, I think, well, I mean, I, the Marvel cinematic universe, I think has been a really cool example of starting a new storyline that touches on the history and, you know, decades and decades of great storytelling. And in a lot of cases, I wish they would draw more on that storytelling directly instead mm-hmm. of like making up mediocre new stories that are not as good as these things that you could just, make movies out of isn't that though isn't that the goal of most storytelling or uh fictional art in general is to create something that that lives past the boundaries that you set for it um and so you're kind of to to say that the star wars uh all this star wars stuff is no longer canon is kind of cheating the greatness that was originally established with the the Star Wars universe. I mean, I I feel like but that's is it, isn't though, that kind of the goal not, though. Is it? I mean, is it cheating because all of those folks sort of who came who came through after 
the original trilogy mm-hmm. and wrote these books and so on and introduced characters like you know Grand Admiral Thrawn. Of, of course, I've read all these books. <laughs> um, you know, big reveal. Uh, but isn't you know those were people building on the legacy of the original thing yeah. and. I mean, lots of people would prefer that the second trilogy was not canon because it was so awful, you mm-hmm. know. And of course, George Lucas like defends it to this day because uh, he. So what? How do you? I mean, I think it doesn't really. It's very easy for creators to make bad decisions and sort of to lose the thread of like what the canon should be, what the story should be. I mean, even someone like Isaac Asimov, who made one of the biggest. Uh, with his robot novels and foundation novels and Galactic mm-hmm. Empire novels, which all connect and make this gigantic world over you know centuries and so on, um, he came back and he wrote all this prequel stuff, and it was like yeah. very different than than what he'd done in the previous several decades of his writing life, and uh, none of it was bad, but it was right. sort of like I mean this wasn't really necessary, this doesn't build on the story, and so it becomes you know once something's out in the world, I think it becomes this tug of war between what the fans want and what the creators want and then what the next generation of creators wants to do while staying true to the legacy i mean you can look at this last generation of james bond films Mm -hmm. uh which were very different in style uh than previous bond and i hope that the next generation goes back to being glamorous and cheesy and silly you know, uh, because that's what bond the tone is just as important as, as the character. Like not everything needed to be rebooted in some sort of gritty dark night kind of way. Um, I think that's a good point that you bring up between the, the push and pull between what the fans want and what the creators want to do. Uh, because I think that's, you start to see glimpses of that in this pretty little liar special. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's bring it back. What do we, as fans. I didn't do it on purpose, by the way. That just, that just seemed <laughs> no, natural. That seemed I'm, like a natural transition. I'm glad you did. No, what what do we... Let's talk about what we as fans want out of this coming season. <clears throat> and there are, I think, are a lot of hints in this episode. Some of them are... Or in the special. Some of them are direct. And some of them, I think, are implied. Um, the absence of the actress who plays Emily's mother in the, uh, mm-hmm. the mom circle. Emily's um, dad is dies right so that means her mom is off doing something and maybe we don't see her this season and emily's all by herself you know i think there actually were some interesting little clues in this episode yeah i uh i mean it's sad to think that uh mr fields is dead because you know last we saw him he was spider-manning up the side of a building remember that yeah he was you know we don't really have a lot of great protective dads on the show all the other dads are kind of like cheating assholes. Uh, yeah, it's either yet, you have like slimy Mr. Smarmy Mr. Hastings or you have uh, Mr. De Laurentiis, who is pretty much outed as a villain straight up in the in the, the deleted scene that we have. Remember, he's basically just like, yeah, well, your dad's just going to have to... The, 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 the therapist. The therapist, yeah. yeah. She's basically just like, yeah, your dad's going to have to live with what he did to her. Right. And it's... So... You know, not to not to not to not to skate to the side or anything, but the the biggest thing that I'm pulling from from this special, uh, and and the thing that that sits most uncomfortably with me is that, um, granted, five years have passed, and if I think of my life five years ago, there were probably things that happened five years ago that. 
uh, at the time I felt were uh, quite large and quite uh, um, quite decisive in my life. And today I just don't think about them that much. But there's something strange about the fact that uh, you have Charlotte as A who did some severely fucked up things. Right, over a period of years. Over a period of years, and yet now we no longer are supposed to accept that Charlotte is a villain anymore. Well, I think the show is setting us... I think the point of this episode, uh, the meta purpose of this episode, was to position the idea that Charlotte is reformed. And Mm -hmm. the scene that we see between Mona and uh, Allison, I think gets right into that where Mona does not trust Charlotte at all and says she was the best at playing the game. And of course she would bide her time all these years because that's what she does. She's a psychopath. So I don't think the show, I think the show is doing that wonderful thing. It does where it doesn't know, where we don't know if the person is trustworthy or not, if they're a villain or a hero or where they're going to be in that particular stretch of three or four episodes where we think they're a villain or not. Well, even the special itself. I mean, if we're talking I would like to think that the special itself has this sort of like metatextual uh, intent behind it because not, not only do we not uh, talk to um, the person who plays Mona, I can't remember her name. Dancing with the Stars. Not only do we not talk to the star who we danced with, but... Uh, that whole scene is shot in such a way that Mona is positioned as the antagonist. Right. Um, Which is, to me, very exciting. That's what I want to see. I want to see Mona on the offensive. I guess, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess it's sort of like an interesting versus uh, what emotionally sits well with me. Well, let's not forget, Mona killed a person, and she's <laughs> off running around. So did Emily, and so did Arya. Right. There are, like, lots of just self-defense slash murderers <laughs> on this show. Somehow all of that's been washed away. so did away. Cece. Yes. Charlotte. In- Charlotte, indeed. Yeah, and we still don't know who killed Allison's mom. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to me to see how much the show decides to dig up some of these... Uh, Great, you know, skeletons buried in the in the De Laurentiis yard or in the, the Hastings yard, uh, and go back and try to answer some of these lingering questions mm-hmm. from the show that I think we felt it tied up extremely hastily in the last finale. Yeah. So, but I feel like the show does not really want to deal with that. It wants to use this as a way to set up new arcs, give the characters new problems to deal with, and uh, move forward. So should we uh, cursorily go through where each character currently stands? I mean, there's 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 differing levels of interest that I think we have in each of these characters. Uh, we can start with um, uh, well, we can start with visually. If you're watching this this uh, special on the couch in fake Spencer's barn, um, first there was Lucy Hale as Arya. Uh, apparently she's in living in Georgia or some shit. I don't. Did she say Georgia? She did say Georgia. So 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 Arya is living from, went in from Georgia. Doing her internship and in, her glamorous internship in L.A. to heading off to Georgia. Yeah, you know what you know what I love about TV shows in general is is the people who play these characters act like all of the things that they're doing 
they're just like, well, I had an interest in publishing, so I became a publisher. Or I had an interest in the government, so I started working at the White House. Right, right. Because <laughs> it's so easy to do. Or I had an interest in being a, a fashion designer, so I just went to fashion school. Right. Yeah. Interned with Zach Posen, as uh, <laughs> as Hannah did, apparently, in this five-year gap. The, the thing that was really funny about this sequence where the actresses were telling us, well let me just run through what happened over this five years mm-hmm. so that you don't have to think too hard when the show comes back <laughs> and we don't actually have to tell you in actual storytelling uh, was when Aria, sorry, Lucy Hale uh, was telling us, you know, I had an interest or, or uh, Aria had an interest in photography, but then she discovered this interest in writing. And then so she kind of moved on to publishing and Marlene kind of jumps in to correct her to be like, you were always interested in yeah. writing. That was like very <laughs> important to your character. That's what I thought too. I was that thinking was, that too. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was, you know, gent- very diplomatic, very gentle about it, but that was really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like, don't, d- like remember remember what your character's all about which you know and and uh we also get sort of get that with um uh with Allison and and Mona where Mona's basically saying you know I asked or like what's going on with with the the different characters and and Allison is sort of relating to her what's going on um you know like Arya is Arya's re- Arya's back into to writing. She's doing a lot of writing. She's reading her short stories and and open mic at Harvard, Harvard Yard, or Harvard, Harvard Yard, Harvard whatever Somewhere. the fuck. Yeah, yeah. That was a funny. I wonder if that scene. I, I think that scene is going to show up in probably the first episode back because that seemed like a modern day moment. Maybe not. Um, but that yeah, was like a very like even worse than this episode in terms of like talking the plot like okay let's just establish where everyone is and it's like 30 seconds of banter and then we can move on to the actual drama of the show yeah which makes me think um you know in going back to uh wants versus maybe what benefits the story the most i think the biggest uh changes will be the fact that caleb and hannah are no longer together which you know i kind of have a feeling won't last for too long um the way I mean, let's be honest about about who's still with the show, the dynamics of what the fans want. I think the show the get, fans want ships. The fans want ships, and the fans don't want Hannah and Caleb to be broken up. I think that I think that they'll get back together. Here, let's it's prediction time. I think that Caleb and Hannah will get back together. Oh, absolutely! But you know what? It's going to be all this delicious drama with Hannah's new European fiance, yeah. who she met abroad. Um, I mean, isn't that so fucking cliche that like this young hot lady goes over to Europe and just like meets some European dude and and the the Midwestern American guy who's like was courting her in high school is just like I knew that would happen all along. Well, I I think there is a a realism to having these young women all go off to college and break up with their high school boyfriends, which is a pretty standard thing that happens which probably should happen sure i mean probably a healthy thing for um for toby and spencer to not be together because they've been perpetually mismatched and yet tied together through this insane mythology plot line their breakup seems the most natural really um the most expected i think right uh i again and you know i feel like 
we're just beating our heads against the wall with this, but um, you know, Arya and and Ezra aren't together, but and yet and yet they'll pro- they'll be somehow drawn back together. Arya uh, has, I'm sure, I'm sure that Arya has been thinking of Ezra all along, all these five years. You know, probably loved his book, and but she has a new boyfriend. I think she, his name is Liam, if I heard correctly. Right? She's in love. She's uh, air quotes in love. I but, mean, it's hard to move on after Ezra Fitz. Yeah, and then he's gonna come back all like super broken because you know, and it was hinted at what happened. I think that his girlfriend was maybe murdered. Yes, I'm thinking some sweet, sweet murder. <laughs> is, is, the, is, the, uh, is what's going to happen here. Hot, sexy murder. Uh, and so he comes back super broken. He becomes an alcoholic, which I don't know. I mean, they're kind of I mean, positioning the, Emily to be an alcoholic, too. Well, how is the show going to – I mean, it's funny that we're learning this background information, right, of this five-year period. Right. Because are we just going to be introduced to Ezra, like, in a bar, just, like, stabbing at a plate of pie, just being like, yep. I'm an alcoholic now. Don't worry about it. And I then, already then, told you the background. <laughs> then some young girls are going to walk by being like, gross, that guy's drinking beer and eating pie. That's Ugh. fucking sick. Ugh, how dare he? Look at that old 30-year-old just drinking beer and eating pie. <laughs> gross. Like a savage. Yeah. <laughs> he must be a broken man. Uh, uh, so so Ezra's broken. Um Emily's... I'm excited about that. I'm excited for Ezra to have some real drama to work through, and maybe they can deal with his, uh, you know, crazy family situation, and also his crazy like years of sleuthing and spying and being a predatory creep. I don't think that which never be got confronted. we never got catharsis on that. I don't think we're going to get catharsis. I think we're gonna. I, agree. I think that when Broken Ezra comes back, uh, that we're just supposed to feel sorry for him because he has you know like stubble now yeah i hate six, that six i hate ezra. shadow i'm anti i'm still firmly anti ezra and i will remain so through the end of this stupid well the, show. the worst part about this and again like i don't I, I i do not tire of repeating this because i think that this is an important point um as they're interview like as they're interviewing the drunk mom detective agency on the special uh you have uh, Holly Combs, Holly Marie Combs, whatever the name of uh, uh, the woman who plays Arya's mom. We do our research. Yeah, we're a pretty little grown now. Yeah. Uh, she is basically saying like, "Oh yeah, I want to know what happens to to Ezra and Arya. I want to know what happened." It's like, lady, you're in a you're you're an adult woman. You should not want to know what happens between these people. This is a, a terrible, terrible plot point that needs to fucking die forever. Right. It's true. But the show clearly does not believe that. And I don't think we're just not going to get any, uh, especially it, now that they're of age and it's okay. Right. It's all just going to get papered over. It's just going to be this sort of gruesome, unfortunate thing that lived on the show forever. And we just have to deal with it and feel uncomfortable. <sighs> I really would. I would like. I would like someone on the show to come out and say this was really inappropriate, and I really disagreed with how this was handled for the show's you know ten year run or whatever. How well after after the go. money train stops rolling, some brave soul 
we'll sit down with the Hollywood Reporter and do that interview. I don't think the money train is ever going to stop rolling. I think that, that Marlene is going to have to just put an end to it her, herself. Well, I think at some point the actresses' contracts will run out. And, you know, I'm actually surprised that they have all stuck it out and it hasn't been like a situation like um, – you know, if you look at the OC or Gossip Girl or any of these types of shows, like inevitably somebody leaves to try to go be in the movies after three years or something. And yet Pretty Little Liars has done a good job of mostly maintaining its cast, especially its core cast. And it seems like they're in it for the long haul. You know, I think that um, uh, first of all, I think that Lucia Hale's contract runs up or runs out after this year. I think she said that she's going to leave the show after this year. But um this is an interesting development, I think, in, in TV in general, whereas, uh, you know, post the writer's strike, um, you now have TV shows operating in half seasons. And so they're operating in 10 to 12 episode uh, stints. And um, I don't think that you see the burnout that you do with shows like the OC, like I, the, you know, that's you, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. You know, because you think of like an episode or like a season of the OC is just straight up twenty four episodes, twenty two, twenty four episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and you have the actors on these shows who are who are making these episodes all in a row, and I would imagine that after twenty two episodes, half a year you know eight months of shooting and then you basically get like a month off or whatever and you have to go back and do all this shit again that it starts to get really old but now these shows are spread out in such a way that i think maybe the people who make these shows aren't as burned out as easily uh on these shows this is just speculation yeah well and you know i don't know i guess i don't really i just watch tv on netflix now but it does seem like um splitting the show into these half seasons um, where you do have this break, you have this holiday break. And so it seems like they have more different time off than you would have in, you know, one of these other, mm-hmm. like working on the set of friends or Seinfeld or whatever in the nineties. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that pretty common now to have these split seasons the way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's or, or you have like a show on, uh, you know, HBO or Cinemax or Showtime that are only 10 to 12 episodes per season. Right. I mean, you know. uh, Orphan Black is only 10 episodes a season. Yeah. Or, yeah, and especially if you're in the UK where you have like six episodes a season sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> so you're not, yeah, you have a lot more free time to go pursue other things. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, you get, you especially get the impression in watching the special that, you know, that all, all, it seems like a lot of the actors, a lot of the core actors now, because they've sort of winnowed it down to a core cast, that they're pretty much they're pretty much game to go, you know, for however long Marlene's willing to take this shit. <sighs> Taking this one to the grave, Dom. <laughs> there has been some chatter about a movie, uh, you know. Oh, for fuck's sake, I don't want a fucking movie. I, yeah, I, I, of course, I'll go see it. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm excited. I will say I'm excited about the dynamics that this special kinds of set kind of sets up mm-hmm. uh, a down and dirty or broken Ezra, um, this mysterious new big bad um, Mona still grappling with panic and her own manipulations. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like Allison. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte returning as this potentially helpful super genius, but potentially still crazy super genius. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think there could be some interesting. It's going to be a question of 
will Charlotte help them help the liars to fight off this new villain right and it becomes like the the enemy of my enemy is my friend or uh one of these comic book plot lines where the Fantastic Four has to team up with Doctor Doom to defeat some crazy new thing. <laughs> and then, of course, Doctor Doom in the end is like, well, you shouldn't have trusted me because I'm going to obviously use this to my yeah. advantage because I'm Doctor Doom. Right. This is what I do. Uh, so I would love to see that kind of plot line play out with Charlotte in this season. I would like to see Jason deal with the fact that uh, he once really wanted to fuck his sister. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be something to probably address. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get... I'm sure we'll Probably have, not going to get that. I'm sure there'll be some scene between them where there's some uncomfortable things said. I mean, I think it is important for the show to deal with the fact that they have a trans character now mm-hmm. uh, who is being going through this redemption arc, and you can't yeah. do that without acknowledging the trauma um, that Charlotte dealt with as a child and coming from the parents and so on. Um, so I hope the show has heard, listened to its feedback, and it's in a position now to really try to say something interesting about this character instead of just having it be more suspenseful thriller cliches. Well, but how do you? So how do you? How do you think the show is going to approach this? Because, you know, I think the show has sort of had a touchy record when it comes to delving into um some trickier emotional spaces for the characters it's done it's done well in the past but it's also done not so well um how do you think that the show now that it's five years forward it's going to have basically a new plot for the most part a new a new a new set of lies um the characters sort of are are in many ways new new Uh, hair new makeup new hair new makeup new jewelry new clothes how do you think that they're going to approach a lot of the lingering uh, sort of emotional trauma or emotional fallout from the last season? Because the things that interest me most are I want to see I want to see Jason deal with the fact that he wanted to fuck his sister. I want to see Charlotte uh, go through a really sort of emotionally painful process of not only trying to redeem herself for all that she did, but also dealing with the fact that her, that, you know, her dad sucks and right. And her, she was existing in a alter ego. I mean, right. she, as a, as Cece, right. you know, existing and not being able to be who she really was. Right. I, you know, I want to see, I want to see Allison continue to deal with the fact that she has such a fucking dysfunctional family that, that, you know, she was in hiding for two years that she never really had a high school experience that 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 you know uh uh that she, she who knows who can she she can still even really trust that she's basically still living in the town that sort of drove her out you know i want to see all this messy emotional stuff but i don't i wonder if the show is willing to deal with that or if the show is going to use this 5 years forward thing as like a let's wipe this way clean let's let's just keep going I don't think it's going to do that because just the little hints we saw here, you know, we see the liars returning to Rosewood to vouch for Charlotte. There's a little shot of Arya talking to, I can't remember who, but she's saying, oh, I don't know if I trust her. Like, are we're supposed to trust her now? We're supposed to vouch for her. I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you see it with the, the tension between 
Allison and Mona. I mean, I think that stuff is definitely going to come up. I think actually 6B did a pretty nice job, the finale notwithstanding, of addressing trauma, of addressing the fallout of the liars being, you know, trapped in the dollhouse for that right. for that couple episodes. Yeah, that's and true. And I think it's willing to take its time, and I think hopefully now it's in a position where there's another season and a half on the books, and who knows how long it'll go. Um, they've solved the main mystery. They can take their time a little bit more, I think, than they could before. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they're going to or they dive into this new mystery and don't leave that room, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the open question of this season. I just uh, looked up the phrase ostinato. That is the name of Ezra Fitz's novel. Uh-huh. And the definition is a continually repeated musical phrase or rhythm. Which I think applies to, vaguely applies to everything we were just saying, where it's just sort of like, you know, is this is this going to be, is this going to just be sort of a, uh, more of the same in a new within a new context, or is the show re- totally reinventing itself? Well, I think the rhythm of Pretty Little Liars is secrets and lies, and the liars never, you know, the name of the show has not changed. This is not suddenly the five years later club mm-hmm. you know i think it, it everything comes back to secrets and lies and we're going to see a new batch of them and um it's going to be a balance between growth and between people falling back into old habits or failing to learn or uh just doing what comes naturally uh and i'm i'm very curious to see particularly where Allison sits in all of this because she mm-hmm. seems to have really transformed to have grown into a serious adult and abandoned this childish manipulative persona of her youth uh, but maybe that starts creeping back in maybe she taps into those skills or those feelings again and I'm really curious to see what the show does with her yeah uh, I want to know who took over uh, Ezra's book hole who's, who's been watching it for all these past five years probably the um, the bluetooth guy who got arrested for whatever, who we thought was the guy from like, Oh, the guy from like knowledge bowl or Andrew? whatever. Andrew. Yeah. yeah. He was there all the time. Oh, that's right. I feel like he's into a book hole. That's true. I wonder what happened to Andrew. Whatever it's called. He was a, he was a real overachiever. Yeah. He was a funny little throwaway character for sure. Yeah. I'd like to see him come back. I'd like to see Lucas, you know, all the like sort of like satellite boys, of the last couple Noel Khan. Yeah. Noel Khan. Where the fuck is Noel Khan? Yeah. I I would like to see all those guys come back. Cause we got like, I feel like this season will probably just treat the prom episode as like a weird finale to a lot of, um, the relationships and so on. Mm -hmm. Like Jenna and Lucas going to prom together. Like maybe they'll just ride off into the sunset and that's it. Maybe we never see them again, you know, which would be very convenient for the show, but not so much for the plot or not so much for like the fans who want to see every thread get tied up. Right, <clears throat> but also, you know, like, I don't expect every thread to be tied up, but we do have Toby as a main character, and it's like he's, you know, he's still related to Jenna, you know. He's like, is, is she cut totally out of his life, you know? Yeah, oh, I mean, the door is definitely open for more Jenna, but she, yeah, I think in the last season particularly, she was sort of dredged up again as this potentially interesting character who was plotting with Mona, and then she was just sort of railroaded into, well, we're Allison's new minions, and, oh, we disappeared from the show. Right. So I don't 
that seems very sloppy to me. That seems unsatisfying. I would love to see her come back and have a little bit more uh, of a closure to her storyline. Uh, yeah, I, um, I would also, uh, I, I think that I've, I've heard that Lucas, uh, does come back, that he's a, like some sort of successful entrepreneur now. Um, he's, he's probably coming back from, uh, a Silicon Valley type yeah. situation. Um, uh, we, who knows? Maybe we'll see Paige again. It was implied that maybe Emily has seen more of Paige. I have a feeling this is what I think is going to happen with that is Emily moves to California, starts seeing Paige. Things seem to be going well, but then Paige dumps Emily and Emily spirals into being like a, a party person and like a bartender who gets drunk all the time. Right. And we've seen Emily deal with some drinking issues before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a natural thing for the show to go into. I guess the funny thing with these relationships will be like, okay, we just are supposed to assume that you were gone for five years and went to college and had all these experiences, but you're still really, really interested in Caleb, you know, or in Paige or in these sort of like high school relationships. And I think the realism of those connections is going to be something the show is going to really have to uh, convince us of. Well, I think that comes back to maybe this idea, sort of maybe the idealism that's still perpetuated uh, within like the show's core demographic and not to like talk down to any sort of core demographic the show may have but I think that there's still this you know why hold on to Ezra and Arya like why hold on to that the only reason that you because love is real Tom exactly exactly because you want to believe that the first person that you fell in love with is your true love right you know and it's hard to accept that that's not the case and I think that there are still a lot of people watching this show uh, spoiler alert, who believe that that stuff is always true, that the person that you fall in love with is the person that you're going to love forever. And, um, you know, I, I, it makes me sound crotchety to well, say this, but it's youthful, just like, it's not real. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, sometimes it is, but it's a very yeah, youthful, okay, sometimes it it's is. a very youthful, optimistic, you know, potentially naive idea, right? And so I think right. how the show with now an adult cast, an adult world that it's uh, dumping us into, how it deals with reconciling that kind of naivete of the first love versus the reality of, like, Hannah getting engaged in wherever the hell in Europe, uh, how it will see, like, if the show does actually embrace its maturity and a, a new sense of realism, or if it just kind of continues on with this very, like, teenaged idea of romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it probably will, to be honest. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's um, okay. It's not the worst thing. No, I mean, you just, it's come, you come to expect it. I, I, there's, there's a part of me that would just sort of, like, like to see these characters continue as friends as people who shared like really sort of traumatic situations together without there being the romantic aspect to it i think that'd be a a real challenge for the writers to have these people exist within each other's lives without there being some sort of romantic attachment it would be a major challenge and it is one that this show is not going to undertake (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to see your pretty little liars without shipping but even you know even a show like orphan black which is like a serious adult Mm sci-fi thriller with conspiracies and x-files type shit and all this all this stuff 
all this like scientific ideas you know there's still a lot of romantic drama there's still a lot of like shipping and characters who maybe shouldn't be together and all yeah. this sort of you know that's just something you can't really escape in television man as human beings we just we just want we just want people to be happy and in love it's true forever and ever. it's true that's fine by me um i think we've done a good job of uh any, yeah any episode. let's try to think of any sort of final thoughts that we have about this 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 special um not enough mona yes uh I'm, I'm happy there was i'm happy there was one great mona scene that really warms my my mona loving heart yeah yeah i feel bad for mona i feel like she's uh i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna, i feel like i'm gonna side with mona f- during this new half season more than maybe i should because i'm still going to be really attached to sort of not trusting anything that's happening well she's the most interesting character on the show and i would you know maybe we mentioned this in another podcast but i would love to see the like the mona years where we see what she's been up to for the Mm -hmm. last five years i think she's just a great you know a great actress and a compelling character and uh i hope we see i i'm excited that the show is positioning her to be an antagonist and going back to her old ways and who knows hitting more people in the head with shovels and you know anything could happen oh my god yeah she needs to she definitely i think that before the end of the show she needs to hit another person in the head with a shovel i uh i would love to see a mona spinoff i mean fuck ravenswood <laughs> right. uh right. where's the mona let's show let's see the mona years like you know like the also starring fred savage why not <laughs> 70 year old fred savage <laughs> or however old he is Hey, he is. He's like. He's like. He, he might is, be like forty. Yeah, he's on a new show right now. That's great. It's good for him. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not a bad show. It also has Rob Lowe in it. It's pretty funny. It's called. It's called The Grinder. It's an actual show on TV. Is it about a sex app or a thing you use to turn marijuana into? I will tell you because okay. I've watched the show and I actually I do enjoy it. Uh, it is about uh rob Lowe is fred savage's brother and rob Lowe was a, a famous star on a well-known tv show called the grinder where he was a lawyer but he was like a sexy fancy high high profile lawyer and the show ended and so he has nothing to do and his brother fred savage is an actual lawyer who works for a law firm and so Rob Lowe's character thinks that because he played a lawyer on TV, he can just start doing real-life cases. And so he sort of injects himself very arrogantly into Fred Savage's uh, lawyerly practice. That actually sounds like a wonderful television It's, it's pretty funny. I want to apologize to Fred for my remarks about his age. I have no idea how old Fred, Fred Savage, Savage is. I think, is no more than a decade older than us. That's probably true because he was a child on television <laughs> yeah. when I was also a child. When we were a child. Yes. Okay. Okay. You remember Winnie Cooper? Do you know that Winnie Cooper is like a fucking like physicist now or some shit? She went to UCLA, my alma mater. Oh. Yeah. She's has like multiple books out about math. I know. I saw one. Is, yeah. No, that's great. She's done very well for herself. Good for her. Yeah. Great. Um, great. Winnie Cooper. or I, I know your name's not Winnie Cooper, but, you know, keep it up. <laughs> Um, live that, your best life that probably as brings Cabernet us, and A says yeah why not that probably brings us to the end of <laughs> this episode of Pretty Little Grown Men it's it's exciting to talk about Pretty Little Liars again and to start thinking about the show which comes back in I don't know like fucking January January 
uh, yeah, you know, we got, so we got some more hiatus coming up. I don't know what we're going to do. We're probably going to continue to talk about things that, uh, have you seen Orphan Black? No. Oh, you should watch season one and then we should talk about Orphan Black. Okay. I will. I will watch season one. Although, you know, everyone should watch Orphan Black. Uh, I have been, I decided to, I wasn't going to, but I decided to watch the, uh, start watching season two of the leftovers. Um, it is kind of amazing. Oh, don't tell me that. I don't go anywhere near Lindelof. No, that's what I that's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to root for Lindelof, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is gonna. I don't know if this is gonna go anywhere. Uh, but I feel like this is <laughs> this is something. It's like it's like they finally. F- season one was pretty wobbly. Season two is pretty on point. Okay, I might catch up. We are watching Jessica Jones on Netflix. Okay, yeah. And then we're going to watch Master of None. And oh, Master I... of None. I like that. That's okay, good. I'm excited to watch it. And then I guess we'll consider our next TV option. But well, you should watch. Leftovers. Um, I would I would recommend The Leftovers. I am currently in the middle of The Man in the High Castle because I'm reviewing that for Paste. Uh, I don't know if I re- would recommend it, but it's I'm it's curious. an impressive TV show. Okay, I love the book. It's it's a it's the kind of TV show that I'm glad people are making, but I wish that it was a lot better. I really mm. wish that it was better. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm curious enough to watch a few. And episodes. you know, and we both read the book, and the book is a phenomenal piece of work. So, it's a very good book uh, by a very good author. Um, well, let us know, uh, our 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 wonderful listeners. Uh, who have stuck it out to the 53-minute mark, uh, what TV shows you were watching during this uh, hideous absence of PLL from our lives, uh, and maybe we can talk about those. Or I'm just curious to hear what everyone is watching and listening to and so on. Yeah. You can uh, add us at uh, PLGM Podcast on Twitter, and uh, that's actually really the only way to get in touch with us. We also have our own twitters of course and you can google us and find us you can find us through our plgm podcast twitter um oh we forgot to, we said that we were going to do this at the beginning but we got sidetracked oh yeah we were gonna do Ooh. our our little <clears throat> we are up. drinking um uh this was just a random buy on the way over to dave's house <clears throat> this is a farmhouse ale <clears throat> excuse me i'm sorry by off color brewing in chicago illinois my old stomping ground uh, this is called the Apex Predator Farmhouse Ale. Uh, my my impressions are that it tastes a lot lighter than a farmhouse ale. Yeah, it doesn't really have the sour tang that you might expect. Uh, I do really like it, though. Uh, it's it tastes more like a Pilsner, kind of. Yeah, it's got a nice gold color. It's kind of hearty. I, I, I really like it, and I like yeah. the uh, Apex Predator makes me think of, like, Magic the Gathering cards. Um, so I'm happy to be drinking a beer that it's a, the cover of it. That kind of the, the label kind of has a has a, a magic aesthetic to it. Yeah, it's like a cool little funky lion guy. And he's got a little he's got a little. It's like a it's like a X-ray of this lion, and he's got a little mouse inside of his tummy. Which I'm th- sure there's some sort of fable, an Aesop fable that has to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, isn't there like a mouse that pulls the thorn out of the lion's paw? Yes. There. So there's a lot of. There's a lot going on in this beer label. Probably like more than they actually needed to needed to do for us to enjoy this beer. Right. So you 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 impressed us on all fronts off color brewing. Uh good job. 
you didn't exist when I lived in Chicago. I, I don't think that you did. So, you know, you've really, <laughs> you've you've really climbed to the, the the top of the beer charts in the past, you know, nine years <laughs> or whatever. Well, I'm excited to see Chicago. It's always interesting to see when things from, you know, like Kansas City or whatever. Oh yeah, the Portland. I mean, I was talking with um, the guy at. at uh, the bottle shop the other day about like the LA area beers I wish would make it up the coast, you know, and it's kind of surprising to me that we don't get something like lost Abbey from, from San Diego. Oh, but, uh, you know, we get stone and we get Boulevard from Kansas and we get Chicago beers and a lot of interesting. Who makes the, who makes the Sculpin? That's, that's also from Ballast Point. That's from somewhere. I think they that's were, from Southern California. They were it? just bought by, Oh, I think you're right. I, they were just bought for a billion dollars what uh so yeah i mean they're now a horrible corporate that's fucking george lucas money that's pretty insane for a company a billion dollars how is that even remotely worth that you know i mean they sell their beers for like two dollars a bottle so (laughs) it's gonna be incredibly (laughs) profitable oh man we are in the wrong business it's true (laughs) We're, we're in the podcast business which we do for free but if you would like to advertise with us and reach our um, millions of millions and millions of uh, devoted listeners uh, get in touch. Uh, and yeah. until next week, do we need a new sign off? I don't. I mean, should we come up with a six B sign off? Um, I I don't. Or should we just go with whatever we said last time? Uh, yeah. Usually we encourage people to star us on iTunes, bitches. I I don't. I mean, you can still do that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Listen, uh, if you like us and you love us and you want us to keep doing this, then, for the love of God, star us on iTunes, bitches. Boom. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Don't cut my secret. What am I sister?